this is gonna be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. I need to go be introverted. <laughs> welcome to Books in the City. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Books in the City. I'm Libby. I'm Kayla. I'm Emily. I'm Becky. And I'm Susanna. We are so excited to have you here with us today. If you guys, I'm sure you guys follow us on Bookstagram and I've been posting these like memes from this account, Samantha in Quarantine, which is basically Samantha, the American Girl doll being hysterical, living in quarantine. Um, As you guys know, if you listen, we like love American Girl dolls on Books in the City. And I found this account and I like sent it in our group chat and I was like guys like I kept sending multiple posts because I kept finding funnier and funnier ones so we were like we have to have this genius on our podcast and chat to her about the account so we're so happy that you're here today I am so excited to be here thanks so much for having me all right so in a couple sentences can you describe what people see when they click on your page oh my goodness um (laughs) (laughs) They will see um, Samantha, the American Girl doll, as the center uh, and main character of every single post um, and living her life in quarantine, doing all of the things uh, that are essential to quarantine. This is a very long two sentences. Um, and, uh, uh, I would say other people have definitely described it as her losing her mind, but because it is reflective of my own journey, um, I would just say it is like experiencing normal quarantine hysteria. (laughs) It is definitely relatable. I think that's what makes it even funnier. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, Okay, could you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to make this page in the first place? I mean, I guess you just kind of touched on that with your own (laughs) journey into quarantine hysteria, but... Yeah, um, I'm going to try not to get too, too deep in it because there's a whole, whole thing that my therapist and I have talked extensively (laughs) about. Um, But basically, um, I feel like the beginning of quarantine was such a crisis for so many of us that we were just getting in touch with all of the things that bring us the most comfort. And so, so many of us tapped into the things from childhood um, and what helped us get through childhood, all of the familiar things. So um, my roommate at the time got super into um, like Roller Coaster Tycoon. um, And (laughs) I found SimCity again and like all of these things from childhood. And um, I was selling some things on um, a resale app and came across an American Girl doll. I had never actually had an American Girl doll growing up, but it oh was like gosh. always oh, wow. this empty place inside my soul that eventually like it had to happen. <laughs> and so I ended up, I was like, I need to do this, right? Like I just, I, I need to get an American Girl doll. Like that's not strange for a 20 something year old to do um and so I ended up getting her having this whole crisis about like who am I I am a grown person with a career and a doll and it's fine um and then I um I ended up 
my um, boyfriend took the first picture, which was like a black and white picture of Samantha with this like dark um, kind of vintage looking background. And um, I sent it to a couple of my um, closest friends and they were like, oh my gosh, please make her uh, her own Instagram account. And um, it was like a little bit of this like insecure area in my life of like I am an, I am a grown person with a career and a doll and I'm gonna put this out into the world and um so I ended up posting it and it uh just kind of took a life of its own I was not aware of um this whole subgenre of Instagram which is American Girl Instagram um AGIG as it is oh. known oh. Um, oh. to it to the people in the know um and people there are there are <laughs> like other people who i don't even i mean there are non-millennials who have rooms of dolls and like uh you know like it's not at all like this like completely niche hobby that i thought it was um so as she took on a life of her own, I was like, I need to get her like all the OG outfits that I grew up with. Like, that's just part of her journey slash my journey. Um, and so <laughs> she like, and then I, it just, it just like continued and continued. And um, I had, to, I have some friends who are in like the comedy world and they thought it was funny and um, they were very supportive. All of my friends have been very supportive. Um, so yeah, you mentioned her wardrobe. So your Samantha has a very <laughs> extensive wardrobe. And I was like, as I was like going through the first time, like, oh, like I would have killed for all those clothes when I was a kid. Like I would take like build a wear clothes and try to rig them up just like working with what I had. But I love when I'm going through your page and I'm like, oh, she's wearing Nellie's dress right now. <laughs> she's wearing this one. Like, Did you like rebuy? I'm assuming you bought all those online too, like resale places. Yeah. 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 I used apps and eBay and, um, I went back through, there's actually a whole like fandom wiki of all of the outfits for America girl ever. Oh, wow. So I've gone back through it to like, see which outfits she still needs. Oh, wow. And like, you know, e even outfits I wasn't aware of, like, you know, I, during the, late 90s early 2000s when I was obsessed um as a child and so back secret like you know this is just like on the down low uh <laughs> she <laughs> wears outfits that sometimes I have been resold because I don't have just <laughs> endless money sadly um and so sometimes I've posted pictures that of outfits that I no longer have so it's like it's cyclical. She yeah. she wears the outfits and then we let them go. Well, she's um, an Instagram influencer, OG, OG so that's though. pretty common. Yeah. You can't, yeah, you can't be photographed. <laughs> she's got a like to know page. She's getting it's out true. the old wardrobe. <laughs> oh my god! It's already on Depop. You know, she's building on it. It's also it's funny because oh if Samantha was around today, I do feel like this is what like you've nailed it. That's yeah. Yeah, like the socialite right. rich yes. girl turning influencer. Yeah. <laughs> we all know someone like that. <laughs> also, like stealing her friend's clothes. She's like, "Yeah, this is mine." And people are like, "Is is it?" So, I don't know. So, do you have a creative process, or is it like on the fly? This is what Samantha's doing right now. 
yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, some of it has been very in the moment. Like um, there was a Taylor Swift like related post and that was like literally like that morning I woke up and just saw it everywhere on Insta. And so I was like, this needs to happen for <laughs> Samantha. Um, but there are also some days where I'm like, she made a post at one point about how she was like, not cooking at all like if it didn't go in the microwave like it wasn't going in her mouth kind of thing and um that like type of post very much evolved from like this is where I am right now and um (laughs) (laughs) and like you know moments where I'm like this is really sad like that I'm at this moment in my life and then I'm just like you know I think this is also where Samantha is in her her life (laughs) that's funny you had like there was one caption that said if you can see your neighbor's two teeth you're too close and I had a picture of a cursed because she has like two buck teeth and I was like crying (laughs) for 10 minutes over that um so over here we kind of have some like heated opinions Mm, of the American yeah oh but my true one was before Kit was Molly Oh, okay, yes. I see that. Molly you look like, like Molly. <laughs> you do look like you. Molly. It's the glasses. Wow, I think it's funny because braids. obviously we're friends, but when I my I had one friend that was obsessed with Molly, and I was like, she's such a nerdy looking fuck. I don't want to play with Molly. Excuse you in her plaid Meanwhile, sweater. you're the nerdiest one here. I know. Shots fired at my own self. <laughs> I was wondering if you could power rank them from least annoying <laughs> to be quarantined with to most annoying. Who would you Who would you do? Oh. Like, who would be on the least annoying spectrum and who would you be like, yeah, you know, get away? Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'm going to go, Josefina is probably least annoying because she's just like extremely compliant. She's super chill, really kind and thoughtful. So she's probably like quietly just doing her own thing in the corner. Maybe she did the dishes for you. Like, (laughs) so thoughtful. Thank you, Josefina. (laughs) Um, I think Samantha would next be least annoying because she's also like really kind and thoughtful. I think at first she would like be very assertive of her own opinion and own ideas. But then once you explained and like held her hand through the process, she would be like, you know, on board. Um, I think Kit would not be very annoying because Kit would just be working on her typewriter um she would just (laughs) occupy her own time she could be in the attic you know by herself (laughs) she's fine um Addie you know uh, actually I might have to replace Addie as the second least annoying because I think Addie would just also be really thoughtful kind doing her own thing um Molly is getting into pretty annoying (laughs) (laughs) that's how I feel I feel like when quarantine gets to apocalyptic levels, that that's when you want Molly by your side. She's going to be resourceful. She's going to help you figure it out. She's going to work through it. She will like shoestring and duct tape. We're going to get through this. Like, she has her victory okay. garden. Yes. Yeah. She some food. So, 100%. so, so sad. Um, but she like, she's such a rule breaker i think that um i think she wore pants for god's sake (laughs) she's she's a lot that's true you can't argue Um, with that okay pushing that envelope (laughs) so i think um 
yeah, I think I think I'm a little bit trepidatious because at, at least in the very beginning of quarantine, I needed a lot of gentleness, a lot of like hand holding, and so <laughs> I wouldn't have been ready for a Molly. As quarantine goes along, maybe I need more entertainment in my life. Maybe I <laughs> need fair. more. I don't know. Um, and then F- Felicity, I I I don't think I would even consider <laughs> Felicity being <laughs> in quarantine. <laughs> she she's she's too much. Um, actually, okay, Kirsten, I I didn't even place Kirsten, and apparently Kirsten's like a little bit forgettable. <laughs> For me. Uh, well, she's already in too close if you could see her two teeth. So, you know. <laughs> Samantha's funny. over her. And Kaya, I don't really know. I'm not going to like. Kaya was like on the tail end of when I was like in American Girl, like reading all the books and all of that. And so, Kaya, I can't speak to. Oh, I but I think Kaya. Kaya would probably not be annoying because she seems really quiet. She's. The only, this is a fun fact for anyone who doesn't know, um, she's the only like American girl mold with her lips together. Ooh. So that's like very, she's very okay. quiet and reserved. Yeah. Wow. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> These are things that you learn during deep dives at two o'clock in the morning going through the American AG girl fandom yeah. wiki. That's funny. I'm going on that wiki after this. Yeah. I need to check that out. So this so this clearly has childhood nostalgia for you. Yeah. You mentioned that. Um, and I think we might be able to figure out who your favorite doll is based on that description of least annoying to most annoying. But let's hear it. Who was your favorite doll and who was your least favorite doll? Um, my favorite was absolutely Samantha. I was obsessed with I was also obsessed with her books um, growing up. I just, um, you know, eight-year-old me was obsessed with an orphan, was obsessed with, you know, deceased parents, their pictures in a locket. Like, I was 100% about it. Um, tragedy being a part of your life story is beautiful. Um, I oh, yeah. loved her you know her wardrobe her clothes also the american girl books i think what made them so compelling to so many of us like millennials was they were so visually pleasing because they had really great illustrations Mm -hmm. and we are such a visual uh you know generation as uh is you know seen by instagram now um (laughs) so Loved is that your hot take? You're like the American Girls book series primed us for Instagram. <laughs> I love that. I'm totally that, behind that. that I feel like my mind has changed and I understand Instagram better because of it. <laughs> that is actually the whole premise of my dissertation, my psychology dissertation. So here we are. Um, my second favorite doll, um, also probably slash book, was Josefina. Um she had a deceased mother so we were like halfway there um on the orphan front <laughs> oh my god um, <laughs> there were truly like so many dead that. parents i mean the it's books, like disney no one yes, has a mom disney the books of my childhood were like anna green gables um mm-hmm. a secret garden harry uh, little princess harry potter of course um yeah we kind of couldn't have any like interesting character growth until the parents were out of the way we needed 
you know, these these characters to develop and they just needed the room to do that. Parents were yeah, always they all had to live with like yeah. horrible relatives or something mm-hmm. in order for them to right. like discover their right. power. Right. Because having deceased parents was not enough. They also needed like further trials. <laughs> right. Every step of the way. <laughs> so least favorite. Um I mean, as a child, there is not a doll I was not obsessed with. I loved all of them. I really didn't have a least favorite. I I think least favorite books was Molly. My childhood self was like, give me the rules. Give me the hoops. I will jump through them. I will follow the rules. I think I needed Molly. But mm-hmm. Molly was the American girl that I, I needed but not the one that I deserve. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so I, 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 I loved the Molly doll, but I, she bothered me with how rebellious she was and that she was not concerned with her sibling relationship mm. dynamic. She was like, you know, forget you siblings. Like, I'm going to go be with my best friend, um, which like Josefina was all about like her sisters and, making sure everything was okay yeah that's fair um okay I'm asking this question and I feel like it's gonna make me sound like I'm trying to stir some shit but I (laughs) want to know if you think it's kind of a two-part question do you think that it's weird that Samantha is calling her grandma Grandmary and also do you think it's kind of weird that her best friend is also maybe her maid <laughs> or <laughs> what are you, what's your take on that? They were like indentured servants. I feel like, right. Nellie was my favorite. I should know There's that. There's a bit of a power thing there. <laughs> it's just an interesting dynamic. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yes. Many troubling power differentials in, um, you know, a number of their stories. Um, I think, Calling her grandmother Grandmary, yes, very weird. Was that was that very explained? Yes, so strange. <laughs> um, I you know I think it I think there was so much in the books where they got away with like you don't understand because it's not your time. <laughs> it's like I don't know if this was being done. I'm really not sure if that is the case. Um, I just assumed her name was Mary. <laughs> right? I have no. That's idea. what I thought. It could. So it's be. like Grandmary. I will have to look on the wiki. I can't say for sure. I'm not sure. Well, fact check. Samantha, the influencer, just has to be different. You know, she has to be memorable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel like it speaks to the level of austere that really Grandmary was going for. She wanted, Mm -hmm. like, grandmother is not formal enough. We need to be like Grandmary. Um, which I think does lend itself to the theory that her name was Mary and maybe her whole life she wanted people to call her Grand Mary. Um, and then this is just like a, this is a, some fan fiction (laughs) that I'm like generating on the spot. Um, it could be. I like that. I like that theory. Um, and then the problematic element of Nellie being her best friend slash maid. Um, so... Um, I think that she is never technically Samantha's mate. She is a maid while they're during their developing friendship. Oh, okay. Um, and then at the she very, works next door. Yeah, she works. Yeah, um, for the neighbors. So 
it's there's still definitely like socioeconomic power differentials um which later then are obliterated when guard and uncle guard and aunt cornelia adopt <gasps> them and so right. there's, i remember them you brought yeah. it all back i remember yeah. his mustache yeah. his sister had, was like, sick and yeah. they saved her oh right yeah nelly nearly died a lot <laughs> yeah i will <laughs> say almost did um yes yeah yeah um and nelly was my first so i feel like i have to know the most about her <laughs> <laughs> i love that nelly was my first um and no nelly's parents also passed oh. um in the course of oh the so they have that in so nelly was also okay. yes it was a dual orphan story which was like yeah it was like orphan to the second power okay. <laughs> beautiful um <laughs> Okay, so if our influencer Samantha had a Zoom meeting, what look would she wear? Oh my goodness. Um yeah, it, I mean, it would be she would have spent 3 plus hours getting ready for the Zoom meeting. <laughs> um you know, full makeup, hair done, probably a hair bow. Even Samantha in mm. 2020, I'm sure wears a gigantic hair bow. Gotta, those are kind of coming back around it's samantha's doing <laughs> i bet yeah a velvet bow yeah. so on trend <laughs> it's just one of those classic looks you know it never really goes out yes <laughs> yeah with her long hair mm. curled <laughs> i was like hoping we'd get an official confirmation on like did she go for the plaid dress or the blue dress you know okay well i can um, tell you I did bring Samantha downstairs for the oh conversation. My oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're in the presence of royalty. <laughs> so I can tell you what she's currently wearing. And I think okay. that real life IRL Samantha would not be too far the off. The classic look. Oh, like cute. She's really like, for the listeners, she's wearing like a jumpery type plaid thing with a satin red bow. <sighs> and yeah, I swear I saw... A New York-based influencer <laughs> wearing that outfit just yesterday. It's it was Samantha. Yeah, and it's the tr- no, it's it's no that doubt. trend of yeah. wearing like a long sleeve sh- shirt mm-hmm. underneath of your dress. Yeah, so yeah. she's what she's very twenty twenty. Like yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're very very big. Also, um, she has a square neckline. So also true. very big right now. Yeah, very big. Um, her sleeves have this like. Uh, I don't know. This is like a little bit '70s flair to me, but yeah. they have like yeah. I feel like yeah. Zoe Kravitz okay. would wear her. that outfit. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing her yeah. in that right now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, what is your favorite <laughs> quarantine drink? Of course, it doesn't have to be alcoholic. Um, yes. So I, um, I stopped drinking alcohol a year ago, which was such a funny time. Congratulations. Stop drinking alcohol <laughs> right before a global pandemic. Oh. Interesting timing. Life is funny. Um, so I um, drank, so at the beginning of quarantine, I was drinking tea like 24 um, seven. I woke up, drank tea and just constantly refilled my mug throughout the day so I would say the like beverage uh most 
often consumed as tea, but um, this summer I am living in Palm Springs, which is incredibly hot. And so I have rediscovered just plain old water. And it's like the <laughs> time in my life that I am drinking water. Um, and water's not bad. It's really like, who knew? A game changer. Um, <laughs> wildly refreshing so actually i i do have a glass of water right now oh, i love wow. that glass too wow um okay so last question um where can we find you and or samantha on the internet <laughs> you just want to like list the handle um so you're definitely gonna want to um mostly check out samantha so it's samantha underscore in underscore quarantine um please follow samantha her her adventures continue um i (laughs) i also i hope she continues past quarantine i was just gonna say what's gonna happen when there's like a vaccine i think um i I think there will be so much aftermath um just emotionally that she will have to go through so i think okay there will be a lot i i had some people probably three weeks into quarantine who were sending me messages of please continue this after quarantine and I just thought oh you you hopeful hopeful people like <laughs> you, you are <laughs> you have such optimism um this actually will not be ending um and so they will continue the posts will continue Samantha uh, in 2022 yes I can't wait the reintegration yeah. to society mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we'll get to see her yeah. like reemerge into society yeah, maybe she'll yeah. go on some hikes and yeah. yes years of material some. drive in uh the uncle's car yeah. Eat some cucumber sandwiches. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yes. Everyone follow Samantha's journey immediately. Samantha's journey. (laughs) Okay. So before we get into our book talk, we just have a few announcements to make about merch. So if you want to get anything from the end of summer mini merch drop. That's a tongue twister. We'll make them easier to say next time. (laughs) If you want to get a koozie, if you want to get a sweatshirt or a t-shirt, make sure you go to the store before Friday the 11th. Um, We're going to close the store on Friday the 11th and get ready for fall and all the fun, exciting fall merch that we've been working on. Um, Also, if you want to get a postcard and help save the, the post office, also on on Friday the 11th, we're going to cap the postcard sending. So if you want one and you haven't gotten one yet, make sure you send us your address on Instagram. Yeah. Yay. And we have two different That's postcards all. floating around, right? Because there's the one with our cover art, but then there's like the fan club one that has this whole like scenic park scene. Little New York park. It's like art. Yes. I mean, they're both art, but that one's like, wow. They're so cute. Yeah. The fan club post Mm -hmm. postcard has a lot of little Easter eggs. So I'm really excited for everybody to get those. Yeah. If you're part of the fan club, let us know. Find all the fun things. Like part of that scene is because mine is a little square with books. Oh my gosh. And let us know what you want to be called because we still don't have. Oh yeah. Did anyone? (laughs) I think it's just going to be the fan club. Can we? We're just going to go with that. Like. I think we're going with fan club. We discussed this off the air, but I wonder if for October it's okay if we call it a coven. Oh, (laughs) Oh, right. We did talk about how we want to be called a coven. 
we've read enough witch books by now. I know. We might be the books in the city coven, so let us know if you <laughs> you approve of that name. Mm. I can already hear the head shakes <laughs> like, mm-mm. <laughs> yeah, wait, what? <laughs> I <laughs> feel like people like, I want to join a coven. A second, and we're forming a coven, Livy. <laughs> join now i feel like this is i feel like this is all going downhill so should we talk about books yeah i know <laughs> crickets no yeah. yeah okay bye <laughs> kayla do you want to go first okay so i am a hypocrite because i said <laughs> on this podcast and i quote i will literally never reread a book again <laughs> That's quite the entry. And I I'm re- a hypocrite. And I reread a book and I really loved it. And oh, I had good. a great experience. So just disregard what I said in that episode. Um, okay, so I read The Red Queen by Victoria Aviard or Aviard. When did that come out? So this book originally came out in 2015. And my like end of high school, beginning of college life, I was obsessed with dystopian fiction. But like... I never read The Hunger Games. Like, I was into, like, these weird, like, kind of, like, niche royalty, like, the selection was a fave. Oh, I remember that. Books. So I think when I read this one, it was kind of at the end of that phase, and I read it, like, during the summer. And then the second one came out in 2016, and I went back because I had it in iBooks, and I read 31% of the second one, and then just like never picked it up again and completely moved on with my life. (laughs) So I wanted like a new fantasy series. So I got like the box set and I had to reread the first one and the first 31% because it had been so long. So one thing quickly though, reading dystopian fiction in 2020, like doesn't hit the same. I was so (laughs) anxious because like they're talking about like the old world and everything. I'm like, oh my God, like who knows? This could be our future. But okay. So I love this book. It's the first in the four book series. I'm currently almost halfway through with the last book so in this world people are split up between red blood and silver blood and there's like all races exist within each blood color and reds are normal humans but silvers have abilities which is basically like powers so some people can control fire there's like nymphs so they can manipulate water um there's these things called magnetrons and they could like like uh, if a magnetron is wearing like a metal bracelet she could like turn into a weapon and like kill you or she could like take like sheets of metal and like morph it into like outfits um okay that would be your power (laughs) yeah there's people who can like control your mind and like people who can move things with their minds like there's a whole bunch so this country norda has been at war with the lakelanders for 100 years and when reds are 18, they're forced to join the military where like millions of reds have died. And the only way to get out of it is if you have a job, but it's like impossible to get a job. So wait, are, so like silver bloods are more in power? Yeah. So like, okay. okay. I'm um, sorry. What do the reds, what are the reds power? They don't. They're just like, oh, okay. they're just well, like, we would be reds. And then like oh, the silvers okay. are like the royal family, their silvers, all the nobility, like They, like, look down on the reds. Like, it's a whole thing. So the main girl, her name is Mare, and she's, like, super spunky, like, kind of takes care of her family now because her dad, like, lost his leg in the war, so he's in a wheelchair, and all three of her older brothers are away, like, fighting. So she, like, steals food and stuff for her family, and, like, she has a younger sister, and she, like, steals along with her best friend, Killorn. These these names are, like, so hard. Um, 
so killer and killer <laughs> i don't even know how to say it he has an apprenticeship so he's not gonna go off to war but like a week before his 18th birthday his boss dies so now he no longer has a job so he's in a week gonna be called like to battle and it's pretty much like a, a death sentence so mare is like i have to save him i have to protect him so she goes on this mission to like figure out a way to sneak at least just him out of the country and she finds this group of rebels called the scarlet guard and they're working to like for like equality for reds and kind of like overthrow the silvers so I feel like I'm talking a lot about plot, but this literally is like the first 50 pages and then like everything kicks off. So like I'm not ruining anything. So they say they could get him out of the country, but for like this certain price, it was like a lot of money. And she's like, I have no way of getting that. Mm -hmm. But then she realizes, so her little sister is like a super talented embroiderer and she works in like a silver shop and she makes clothing for all the nobility and stuff. And Mare goes with her one day to the silver marketplace because she needed her sister to get her in. And she's like, I'll just steal something like expensive and then that'll like pay for it. Obviously, like that's not easy to do. So she's kind of like wandering around. And when she's there, there's there's an attack by the Scarlet Guard and they like come on all the TV screens and stuff and they like take claim for the attack. Uh And the silvers in the marketplace start going insane and like rounding reds up, even though like these are just innocent people. So they're like, Mare and her sister are like, we got to get out of here. So they're like racing out. And on the way out, Mary's like, oh my God, I didn't even like get anything. Like it was such a waste. And Giza, the sister, tries to steal something, but she's not a thief and she ends up getting caught. So the guards like Ugh. the punishment for stealing, they like broke her hand and it was like Aww. deformed so she can never embroider again. And now when she turns 18, she'll like have to go off to war like her whole future is ruined from this like one second. So Mary's like flipping out, kind of like brooding around because she feels like it's her fault that like this happened to her sister now. So she like goes out and she's like at this bar and she starts like pickpocketing just to like make herself feel better. And she, (laughs) as one does, we all do that. Yeah. So she like steals from this guy and he catches her and that never happens but he ends up giving her like more money than what she took from him. And he like sits and like talks with her and asks about like the village and like, she knows he's a silver. So she's like, why do you care? And he thinks that like their lives are better than they are. And she was like, wait, question, question. Is his no, no, no. future boyfriend? <laughs> I don't know. Do, do they fall in they love? I actually, I actually still don't know. Um, <gasps> the tension oh, over three books. Four. Yeah. Oh, so, she like goes home that night and she's like, my life sucks, whatever. And she wakes up in the, <laughs> in the morning and wow, wow. there's like palace guards at her house. And she's like, she thinks she's being taken away for like what happened in the marketplace, even though it wasn't her fault. So she's flipping out. She like says goodbye to her family, like thinking she's off to die. And it turns out that she was like chosen for a job as a servant in the palace so she's saved now because she's 17 so she's like she has a job she won't have to go off to war so on her first day there's this event called queen's trial and this is when noble girl girls from like noble houses all compete with their abilities for the crown prince and like one of the strong like the silver marriages aren't for war it's for like power so they like the strongest girl would be the one to go with the prince so that way the heir would like 
be the strongest, whatever. So she's there, and it turns out when the royal family comes out that the prince is the guy from the bar. Shocking. So she's like, What the fuck oh is happening? God. Yeah, and he's like, So cute. <laughs> she's flipping out. She's like, Oh my God, he like must have gotten me this job then. And she thinks like all silvers suck because they do suck to the reds. And she hates the royal family. So she's like, Oh my God, he like did something nice for me, whatever. So as she's, like, serving the people, there's, like, they all have these crazy abilities. So, like, there's so much going on. Like, things are moving around. And, like, over the arena, there's this, like, electric, like, protective hub. So literally, like, portions of the arena are moving. And she ends up, like, falling. And she literally is, like, I'm falling to my death right now. But she ends up, she falls into the electric thing. And she doesn't die. All of a sudden, she falls into the arena and she like has lightning powers so this she got is radioactive she's a silver all the t- all along so no. she had it all along and it was triggered in that moment so oh, but girl. the thing is that she has red blood like she's not supposed to have an ability so uh. right away the king and queen are like so it's recessive <laughs> no they're like how do we because you end up finding out but like they're like, we can't let this get out that like a red could have power and like even to the nobles that are there. So they like quickly like take her inside. She didn't bleed. So like no one saw the color of her blood and they come up with this plan and they're like, okay, we're going to pretend that you're Lady Marina of this house that had like died off and the dad, like quote unquote dad was like a famous war general. And so their like cover story for her is that her parents died and a red family took her in. So she grew up thinking she was red and then mm. found out she had abilities and realized she was silver. And they're like, okay, and you're going to marry our youngest son, Maven. So now we've got a love triangle with two princes. Oh, it's not the bar prince. Wait, what's bar prince? So his name, name is Cal. Who's sorry. Maven. Cal, Cal and Maven. And Cal is like the one that's going to be king. And okay. Obviously, it turns into a love triangle. But in terms of names, Maven and Mare is kind of Okay, but the names are like a whole thing. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to get into it. It sounds like a lot of spoilers. No, I I know it does, but it's literally like, okay, this is how the whole series starts. Like, I just said the very beginning of the book. It all happens so quickly. And then... Wow. So the first book is her like living in the palace remember she had met that rebel group so like things start happening with them and she's like learning she's training her ability and like learning more about it and trying to figure out like why she's red and has an ability and that's the first book but I just want to say I was talking to a few people today on bookstagram because I posted that I'm kind of ready to be done with this series and it's I love it and if you're looking for like a good series I definitely recommend it but like I've never read something that reminded me so much of Game of Thrones in the sense of like, there are so many battles, like it ends up turning into a war series, which you don't really get from the first book, because the first book is all like Mm. court drama and like, kind of like the tutors, like, and I love all that stuff. And like, I like all the battles too, but I don't like to read battles, like I'd rather like watch it in a movie or something. Um, and there's a lot, (laughs) like there's so many battles and I'm like, okay, we get it. So I recommend if you're going to read the whole series, like I wish I took a break between like books three and four, cause it's like a bit 
it's a lot, but yeah, it's so good. Like I'm so invested in the love triangle. Like I still don't even know where I fall. <laughs> like oh. I know like in between all the battles and the rest of the books, there's like these moments where I'm like smiling like an idiot. And there's like, obviously like flirty it's YA. So there's like banter between the characters and stuff. And yeah, I'm so glad that I reread a book and went back on my word because <laughs> I actually really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I feel that like I just like good. dumped so much. <laughs> that's what, that's how I felt when I was talking about the Raven boys last week or whenever that was too. But I feel like the YA like beginnings of series, there's just like so much established yeah. so quickly. So you're just like, okay. And this is all in the first hundred pages. Cause what are you going to say? Like, okay, a girl finds out she has power and then yeah. like, right. You know, it's fighting though, for equality. Those stories to like the, two that i've talked about like a court of thorns and roses and carvel they're like the first book almost means nothing in the grand scheme of the series it's mm-hmm. like yeah this the first book was this one thing but if i described like the other yeah. books to you you would have no idea because so much like goes down at the and i actually end. was thinking about sarah j mass while reading this because like a quarter thorns and roses there's like it leads up to a war and throne of glass is like an eight book series like leading up to a big oh war God. but mm-hmm. those ones like like this one I literally got like YA Game of Thrones like Battle of Winterfell vibes so yeah. many times like it just feels like there's more at stake and like I don't know like the battles are just like more important in this series I have the first one on my shelf for a while so I'm kind of tempted like to see if I should pick it up soon I feel like you'll like like the love stuff which is I like what I love stuff. about it <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you say what you rated it? So I gave the first one five stars because I was like obsessed, wow. could not stop thinking about it. Yeah. And I think I kind of enjoyed it more this time than I did the first go around. Wow. Oh yeah. my God. Nice. Are you going to start rereading all of your old faves? No. Or are you going to try and still like <laughs> stay away? Yeah. I think the only time I'll do it now is in, like if it's this case, because like I started so many series like five years ago and then waiting for the sequel, I never picked them up again. Mm. So I think I might like reread the first or like first one or two and then like finish a series. I kind of feel that way with Servant and Dove because I read it really fast and the sequel just came out. But I was reading the synopsis of the sequel and I was like, what the fuck was the first book about? Like, I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah. So Libby, what did you read? I read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. This is in a... (laughs) very different vein from yours um <laughs> pivot <laughs> so switching gears a little um this came out last year actually august of 2019 um from one world books so i read this one earlier this summer um like it went in the middle of all of the fervor when it was like back ordered for years and years and everyone was recommending this one and I was shocked it's like a pretty quick read which I didn't expect going in but it's also one that I feel like it benefits from like being read slow or like savoring it but um I'll get into like why I think it worked as a fast read a little bit later I was also reading a borrowed copy of this one because like I mentioned everyone ordered it and it was like back ordered and sold out everywhere you looked Mm -hmm. uh So I borrowed my roommates and I used like little sticky notes because I couldn't underline in it. But I was literally like putting a note on every single page. Like there's just so much 
so much on every page and like so many nuggets of wisdom throughout the whole book. So I'm definitely going to like buy my own copy and reread at some point and like probably underline the entire book. So yeah, the reason I think it felt for me like such a quick read is because going into this, I kind of thought it was like history and like sociology almost, but it's actually a ton of memoir and Ibram X. Kendi, like his upbringing and like life story kind of serves as the, like it structures each chapter. So Mm. I didn't know that going in, but he, like there's just so much autobiographical information sprinkled throughout and like that kicks off every single chapter. So that was just, it made it like, I think more digestible and just quicker because you're like following along with this guy's life uh, as you're Mm. learning about his way to frame, like looking at policies, basically. That was vague, but it'll make sense, I think, once I get into it. Sorry. (laughs) Basically, the premise of the book is in the book early on, the author defines like the racist and anti-racist people. And he said, there's no such thing as somebody who's just not racist. Like if you claim to be not racist, that just doesn't exist as a group of people because he defines it as a racist as someone who is supporting policies that contribute to racial inequality, whether actively or passively. And then an anti-racist is just like, on the other end of the spectrum from that like somebody who is working against policies that contribute to racial inequality I feel like using like he defines those terms super easy and then throughout the rest of the book he kind of talks about like different policies and also race at the intersection of other marginalized groups and identities so Like he touches on class, sexuality, colorism, gender identity, and like all of that in relation to race and kind of reframes all of like the policies working against these different groups of people in anti-racist versus racist terminology, if that makes sense. I hope Mm -hmm. I'm making sense. It was like, I feel like I'm, when I'm explaining it, it sounds very complicated, but the way, just the way he distilled everything down to like that's either racist or anti-racist just like kind of made these sort of huge topics seem more simple I guess or just like provided a lot of clarity because at the end of the day it's all just like being reduced down to like which category does it fall into another main takeaway from the book that like I kind of had to adjust to as I was reading it is that Ibram X. Kendi says that Racism is not rooted in ignorance or hatred, but always just in self-interest, which mm. at first I was like, wait, like, I don't know. It's it's like not that kind of felt like a hot take as I was reading it. But then he as he's framing, you know, different policies in anti-racist or racist framework, it started to make sense. And it was like an interesting takeaway from the book that I I felt like I needed to process while I was reading it. Also, okay, I was like going to read a quote that sort of like illustrated that point, but I am actually not going to do that because it's like kind of a long quote. It's just (laughs) really good. 
I feel like I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. So I kind of said this. Each chapter illustrates a different intersection of like whether it's his identity or other identities that he encounters throughout his life and their intersection with race. I feel like because he was kicking off every chapter with these personal anecdotes first, like, you know, you learn about like the first time he encountered homophobia like in himself or in his community or something like that um and then he'll go into like the history of that specific marginalized identity and various policies that have like worked against that identity in history it just makes it like a really it's just like was such a manageable way to learn interesting way of telling it yeah yeah and like you get um I just feel like anything illustrated by somebody's personal example or like anecdote with whatever they're talking about just makes it it's just like less abstract and like easier to comprehend like Mm -hmm. when you're applying it to like him talking about you know being in a college class and we like that kind Mm -hmm. of thing that reminds me of uh so you want to talk about race like she did a similar thing where she was like using because i think part of these nonfiction works on racism is you want to point out the system and for a lot of people it's like hard to wrap your mind around this like nebulous system so I find that authors that are like well here's how it affects me and how you would identify a systemic problem in like a personal interaction without making it personal is really like useful you know yeah 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 and it just helps like because when you're talking about systems it I feel like often it just becomes super bogged down with like, and then this act and then this court case and then this, you know, but like Mm -hmm. this way relating it with these anecdotes, at least in this book, just made it like never feel dense, which was. It's like more digestible. Yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, I feel like it is just a super important read right now for obvious reasons but I also think it's going to be relevant like unfortunately for a long time until there's more racial equality but he I don't know the way as he's breaking down all of this and putting it in this simple framework of like racist versus anti-racist it's not in any sort of like naive or overly optimistic way but he is like painting this kind of feasible path toward an equal society, which was, again, like it wasn't like a naive, like we're all going to love each other soon type of thing. But it was, I don't know, it was like an optimistic book overall, I would say. There's also just like actual concrete, you know, action that he's providing people to adopt anti-racist practices in their own lives and then also like fight for anti-racist policies in their communities or you know in government so yeah I just feel like there's there were so many wonderful takeaways and like every single page had something that I was just like rereading over and over again which helped like me digest it more slowly and it was also I keep going back to like the simple terms of like things being racist or anti-racist but I do feel like breaking things down into just this or that terminology was like a really useful way to maybe give people who white people specifically probably but I think everyone to give white people the language to talk about this kind of thing 
because I feel like it's probably generally a newer conversation for most people. And when you're, again, like trying to think of like 400 years of oppression in a country, that's not as easy to wrap your mind around as like looking at something you see in your day-to-day life and saying, does this contribute to racial inequality or does it fight against it? You know, like that's just an easier way to break down like everything that you see rather than, you know, propping it up against like a huge, enormous, like traumatic history of a whole country, if that makes sense. So yeah, I highly recommend this book to anyone. I feel like it was just like a good read learning about Ibram X. Kendi's history and his life. And he, you know, was coming at a lot of this with a unique viewpoint. And he's a really, really good writer and like super digestible. And yeah, it provides just like real tools, I feel like, to reframe. At least it made me like think about how I've like participated in politics. And, you know, that I think the. I don't know. I feel like everyone's met somebody who's like, I'm not racist or people have used that in their own defense at some point. And it's just like the I guess if this was boiled down to like one point, it's just that that isn't enough. And that's not like you're not helping anybody by being not racist. Like you actually have to Mm -hmm. take a more active and like participatory stance in all of it, Um, especially if you're in part of a group that benefits from this system of oppression you know so uh, it was really good I yeah I think at this point maybe it's not so backordered so like everyone should get it <laughs> and I've also I had heard his he has another book stamped from the beginning that came out before this and that one oh th- I think that one is a bit more on the dense side and a little bit more of like the history lesson I think he wrote it came out before this one and I think it's less to do with his own life and more just the actual like history of basically I think of racism in this country um, and where we are now and how we got here from where we started and all of that. So I definitely want to read that one, too, because I think this while, you know, it was like a very useful tool and it really made me think and I think it would make everyone think it would be interesting to hear about all of this in kind of a I don't know with like a deeper look at all of this from this author because he's he was such a good writer and I yeah I just want to keep reading everything he writes how many stars uh five stars I've seen him on the talk show circuit and he does like everything he says I'm like yes that makes a hundred percent sense it's just like lots of wisdom yeah 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 that's what his writing's like too I just like yeah, he's so brilliant. Also, he had this kind of shows up in How to Be an Anti-Racist. He had colon cancer and so he spoke on Chadwick Boseman. I was watching this on like Democracy Now, I think. He did an interview just about like the importance of like health especially in, with like black men getting colonoscopies before. I don't know, he like went into it, but But yeah, it's weird to say like a book like this is really good or like really readable, but this one really is like he, I don't know, just the way that he ties his personal life into all of it. um, It's just really approachable and like a story, but you're also learning something on every page and yeah, it's really, really good. Becky, what did you read? 
So I read 50 Words for Rain by Asha Lemmy. It came out September 1st, and it's a Good Morning America book club pick, so that's really exciting. So thank you to Dutton for the advanced copy. And before I get into it, I have trigger warnings. It seems like I'm talking about some dark books lately, but um, there's racial violence and abandonment, abuse, human trafficking, and suicide. So make sure to fast forward if you don't want to hear anything about that, because I, I have to kind of talk about some of it to explain the book. Timestamps are in the show notes. Okay. So this book was so, 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 so good. I cannot believe that this is her debut. Like, I can't believe this oh, is wow. her first book. It's so good. With that being said, <laughs> it takes place in Japan starting in the 1930s, but it spans all the way through the 60s. So you get like a complete like look at this this life. So it's about this girl named Nori. Her family is like nobility, like royalty in Japan. And so you learn a lot about the dynamics of these like wealthy aristocrats. I keep wanting to say Aristocats because of the Disney movie. <laughs> I'm just picturing um, cats on pianos. like <laughs> Not quite, but pianos are important to this book. Um, oh. Kind of. So you kind of get a look into these like wealthy families and you kind of see how it was so important to have sons so that their names could live on and their families could live on. It's kind of an important thing that happens. As the book opens, Nori is around seven and her mom drops her off at her grandparents' estate and says, you have to be obedient no matter what. The only thing more important than obedience is your life and leaves her there with a note and is never seen or heard from again. Oh my God. Yeah, and it's really sad. And so Nori's father was a black US service member in Japan for the war um the japanese at least the royal fam the royal kind of wealthy fam wait is this post-war um it's after the first war but it okay. like i said it's from the 30s through the 60s so you do get a glimpse at of some some of world war ii as well so her father was like a world war one vet yeah correct okay so the japanese at least the family in this book they hated Americans and they believed Americans like ruined Japan and ruined like their way of life. Well, they weren't. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so Nori is the result of an, aff an affair. So her family believes that she ruined the family oh um, my God. because oh. not only is she. And she's seven. Yeah. So not only is she black, but she was born out of wedlock. She's a girl and she's half American. So she has everything going against her in the eyes of her family. So her grandmother despises her and locks her in an attic. Ah! Jesus. Wait, where's her dad? You have to read the book, but the dad's not involved okay. at all. He's like a distant memory. So she's locked in this attic and she has a maid that attends to her and brings her food and stuff. But basic and basically kind of whatever she wants within reason, but she's still locked in this attic. Yeah. Um, she's forced to take acid baths. <gasps> yeah, to bleach her skin. Um, With acid. And her. Oh yeah, it's God. awful. It's awful. And her grandmother comes to the attic every few months to check on her and check her progress to see how she's, you know, I don't know, growing. And without fail, regardless of what happens, her grandmother always finds something wrong and beats her. So she's oh living God. this horribly tragic life in this attic. And then one day the grandmother comes in like not during the normal time that she comes in just shows up and she's like 
by the way, you have an older brother and he's coming to live with us and you're not to speak to him unless he speaks to you. You need to leave him alone, but you're going to get dressed up and you're going to go meet him. So she finally meets her brother, whose name is Akira, and she finds out that he's actually totally willing to speak to her and thinks it's absolutely insane that she's locked in an attic. Okay, good. I'm with Akira. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Akira is great. So he lets her ask a million questions and follow her, follow him around all day and kind of be a shadow. And so for the first time, she starts to feel like there's somebody who cares for her and wants her. The grandmother adores Akira because he's going to be the heir to the estate and the only hope that like she has left of keeping the family continuing on. And so she's willing to do anything to keep him happy, including like giving Nori more freedoms. So she lets her come out of the attic and follow him around and lets her learn how to play the violin with Akira. Akira is a super talented musician, like Wait, genius musician. Wait, how old is um, she at this point? She's 10 when Akira comes, and Akira's, I think, 14 or 15. That's like three years in an attic. Yeah. <sighs> it's awful. She's, like, like, really frail, and, like, somebody has to help her down the stairs because she doesn't move around more than just going from you know, one side of the room to the other. But I can't say much more about it that, without spoiling things. The rest of the book follows Nori's life through the 60s as she kind of, like, fights for her life and for her acceptance and, like, all of the trauma that she has following her, the fact that her family hates her and all that. Um, I know it sounds extremely depressing and it's like, why would you want to read this book? But it was so unbelievably beautiful and, like, I could not stop thinking about Nori and Akira and all of the characters in this book. I really, there was something interesting and maybe it's not that big of a deal, but it, it struck me as interesting. The perspective was in third person, but then when you switch to the perspective of like the maid or the brother, you get first person accounts. So whenever it's Nori's story, it's third person. But then when you're hearing from somebody else, it's first person, which I felt like was a really specific choice. Yeah. And it was really, really interesting. But yeah, it's like, I can't get over the writing this book. I haven't stopped thinking about Nori. It's so, 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 so good. I highly recommend it. Are there any, like, could you leave us with, like, an uplifting point? Because I feel sad. No. I don't want to spoil anything. How long do you stick with her? Like, do you see her grow into a teenager or? Yeah, all the way up through when she's like in her 30s. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you get her whole life. There's some really tragic things that happen to her. More tragic things happen to her. Boy. There's also some really nice things that happen to her. She makes really great lifelong friends sorry what part of japan was she living in um kyoto okay Mm. and then the brother lived in tokyo so you you get like really vivid depictions of japan and i don't i mean guys i know you guys are all frowning and you're like no i bought this today i'm excited to read it it's so good it's so good i hope that i did it justice explaining it like I didn't want to I don't want to spoil anything so I don't want to get too into it but I think every every single one of you Libby, Kayla, Emily like I think each of you would like this book for a different reason like I think it was 
really character driven. There's a lot of plot, <laughs> but it's like mostly about this girl Nori and like you're following her and like her her um evolution through life and I, it's so good. I can't I mean, I don't know. That's my description. I can't wait to read it. I love the cover. Well, not every Five book needs to be yeah, a happy that's book. That's true. Yeah. No, I love sad books. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 sad and tragic, but it's also really beautiful and and it's a different perspective on historical fiction that I don't normally read. It takes place in obviously the 30s through the 60s, but I mean, I haven't read that much that takes place in Japan, you know? So, did I say it was five stars? It's a five-star read. Highly recommend it to everyone. That's good. Yeah. Emily, what about you? Did you read something more uplifting? I did, but like, okay, I got to get like in the mood because I was like so hyped for this book. Oh, no. Um, oh. So, I read The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. I finally read Yay. it. So, and it was published as a book in 1967, but it was written between 1928 and 1940. So I'll get into the history of it. And it was also translated by this team, Richard Piver and Larissa Volkowski. (gasps) Volkowski. Okay. Wait, they're the best. I was like, I'm going to (laughs) nerd out here, but they did my translation of Anna Karenina and I felt like it was really, really good and impacted the way. Do you know how they do it? No. Sorry. Oh, tell me. I need to know. It's something like he transcribes everything or something or like one of them is reading aloud (gasps) to start. They do it like twice, basically. And it's something with like he transcribes it and then she reads that aloud and they like retranscribe it from like the aloud version or something. Okay, I should look this up before I'm like saying this but they're cool. Interesting because I think that makes sense because sometimes there would be like exclamations like well reader listen up or like she thought this to herself or like it makes sense if it was wow okay but they're a good team and like I I like what they do because I do think when you're reading translated work we'll never really know like what the original words were saying but I do feel like if they don't know the native language or can't translate the humor the intention of like the way the story was written then you're not going to enjoy it as much and they just happen to be translators that I really really enjoy because this is a Russian novel. and I'm already excited. I don't even know what it's about. And so a couple of things you should know right out the gate is it's a dark satire of Soviet society mixed with magic. And I freaking Ooh. loved it. I was like, I've never read a classic like this fast. I was turning pages because there's a lot of crazy plot that happens. And also I was really like hooked on the message that it was trying to convey. And it reminded me kind of like why I love reading classics, because it feels like you're reading like a glimpse into the past. I was reading like what was important to authors at this time and what they were thinking about and like what they couldn't say and had to wait until their death to say, you know. So the book opens up on two members of this literary society. They're, you know, walking around, sitting in a town square in Moscow, and they're talking about kind of like scholarly topics. So I was thinking like probably written around the 20s to 30s, like post-war, thinking about like enlightenment and art and all this. And they come across the topic of religion. And this is important because Soviet Russia was officially atheist at this time. So that's going to come into play in a second. Interesting. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, I didn't I know learned that a lot about what it was like to so this is Stalin's Russia, which was not a pleasant time. And <laughs> there was a lot that you can say and that's like the point of this book is like there was a lot of people who had lived through the revolution and were unaccustomed to kind of like the way that communism was being executed by the oligarchs. Like, I don't think people were opposed to it. They were just opposed to the way that it went down <laughs> or impacted their lives. <laughs> um, so they're sitting in this town square and along comes a stranger, kind of like a professor type, who claims he's in town to do a black magic show. And he gets to talking with the two men and they're kind of having a hard time placing this guy. And they're kind of like, is he German? He's got a good Russian accent. We don't really understand and so they are very skeptical of strangers, of foreigners, because, like I said, it, it's Stalin, Soviet, Russian. There's all these new rules. People are really distrustful of each other. They're not, al- they're not allowed to print foreign money. A lot of people weren't really technically allowed to leave the country. Um, and the footnotes were super helpful for this book. They were generally, like, amazing but they really contextualize like what life was like for this time and kind of like what inspired this work because people were really discouraged from speaking out against the state. And like, do you guys remember we read that book, The Secrets They Kept? And it was about... I was thinking about that Similar vibe, Dr. Zhivago, in that it really reminds me of that because it's a similar type thing. It's like the state is repressing kind of literary expression, but on top of that, there's a lot of new rules for being... A communist like they took away there was a lot of communal property like they started seizing housing so there was a lot of like limit on who could live where and if you had any like gold or rubles you had to like turn them into the state and people were very distrustful of each other and in the footnotes they point out sometimes a sentence would end or like characters would whisper to each other and the footnotes would be like this was a cue to the reader that this character was like disappeared so people were like arrested and brought to a prison and presumably killed like there were probably I think there were 30 million Russians that were killed during this time and just like taken away so that was hinted at because you couldn't explicitly say like in your text like I'm criticizing the government for like disappearing people so that like played into it a little bit it reminded me of like you know how in I'm gonna get nerdy here, but like, you know, like the animated movie Anastasia, and the opening uh-huh. number is they're all like talking about the rumor that Anastasia, the princess, is alive. But then they're like singing, and then they whisper to each other, and that's how they like communicate. That that similar vibe was like, we can't get caught saying shit out loud because you might have neighbors that claim to overhear you. It's so scary. It's terrifying. A lot of people were. I mean, to this day, I think some of that carries over and it's like you can't really Mm -hmm. live. You don't know who to trust. And so if a foreign guy speaking perfect Russian, but seems like he might be German, waltzes in and tells you that there is a Jesus and he's met him, you're going to be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, I am like, what? Is that what happens? (laughs) Yep. So it gets weirder. I thought he was doing black magic. Right. So the two literary guys are kind of talking about how God doesn't really exist because that's what they believe. And the stranger gets into an argument with them and he's kind of like, well, I think humans can't govern themselves because they're mortals. So you need systems that are in place beyond their time on Earth. And so he's like, that's what's appealing. And they're like, well, Jesus isn't real. And he was like, 
yes, he is. I've heard him <laughs> or I've seen him. And so they're like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, who says, like, I'm not going to get, you know, like a hammer dropped on my head or something like life could end at any moment. You just live it to the fullest, like drink your vodka and like <laughs> live life in <laughs> the, the foreigner. The German guy is like, well, I know that you're not going to get hit with a hammer. You're going to get ran over by a tram car and beheaded. And I'm going to go live in your apartment. And of course, the literary guy is like, sorry, this crazy guy. So they're going to fetch the police. And as no. this guy, as this um, editor, his name's Berlioz, is going to fetch the police. He is uh, <laughs> ran over by a tram car, beheaded, and the foreign dude gets to live in his apartment just like he predicted because <laughs> the foreign guy knows this because he is the literal devil. Oh, <laughs> the, devil. the devil. He's making a lot of appearances on this podcast right? lately. <laughs> <laughs> so the devil is in Moscow and he's here to fuck it up, baby. Pew, 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 pew. This book was like so metal. I was like, this. I like that he was like a professor and he is doesn't come alone. Um, and I don't Ooh. I won't get into all the shenanigans they stir up. But as part of his little entourage, we have this kind of like court jester guy named Koroviev. I don't, I don't know how to do the Russian names, but thankfully they're not so bad in this um, one because a lot of the names are like German or the author named them based on different literary legends. So like. The devil in this iteration is going by Woland because he he takes on a German persona because the author was referencing like Faust, the tale like from Goethe or whatever his name is, the German guy. So this court jester, he comes in. He was dressed in like a silly outfit. Think like one of those lawn jockeys with like checkered print. You know, the ones with the lanterns that sit on the, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like the ridiculous no. hat and the... Yes. You lost yeah. me at the lantern. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So <laughs> half like, and half. The, like in people's driveways. Yeah. Yeah. So he's dressed like that. So he kind of is the magician of the group and he messes around by faking papers, which is a big no-no in Soviet Russia. Um, papers were a big thing. And um, he tricks people out of their apartments, which was also a big thing, again, because space was communal and people were like fighting over apartments in Moscow. And there's a really entertaining thing where they create this illusion where everyone's going to get these fine French clothes. And then the women come on stage, get the fine French clothes, they get a new outfit, and they walk out on the street and they're like in their underwear. And so <laughs> that kind of shit could get you arrested, right? So they're, they're fucking shit up. Um, oh, wow. Another one is an, an assassin goat man named Zazlo who can behead people from across the room. There is a naked witch lady named Hella. What? Say naked? Yep, she's dead. <laughs> and I think in Wikipedia it says she's like technically a vampire. Fun. And last but not least, there is a cat named Behemoth who walks around on his hind legs. Oh my God. Uh, speaks <laughs> pretty good Russian and uh, <laughs> shoots vodka and occasionally cheats at chess with the devil. And it's just wow, like, wow, this is, there's a lot happening. There is a lot happening. So remember that other writer guy? So it was the editor, but also there was a poet who was with him at that first encounter with the devil. So he's like, holy shit, the devil is in the city. I have to go warn everybody. <laughs> um, and so naturally that doesn't go over well. And he's hospitalized in a psychiatric ward because people are like, 
what are you talking about? And he's found wandering the streets in his underwear. He's like, the devil is in Moscow. And they're like, <laughs> more in the satire comes from the fact that people are more concerned about what's being said rather than like all the fuckery that's going on with the devil. So it's like people are just like getting censored in the types of works they want to publish. But the devil could literally come into Moscow and do black magic and the government wouldn't care. That's like the joke. And so while this writer is in the psychiatric ward, he meets this man who calls himself the master, who was writing a manuscript about, he he wanted to write like a a historical fiction about Pontius Pilate and and how he met Jesus. Um, Hmm. But this was rejected for publication by the state and kind of like the literary editors of this time. So it was censored essentially. Um, And he was really sad about that because he worked really hard. And so he tried to burn his manuscript. He was like, I'm done. I don't know how to find purpose in this world. If like my art that I want to create isn't going to have a home, like what's my, the use. And allegedly the master's character was inspired by the author himself. So as I said at the beginning, like he spent from the twenties to forties, like writing and writing this book. He produced a lot of stage plays and at a lot of turns he would get, And so in communist Russia, too, you're, like, essentially assigned a job, too. So it's, like, the state can, like, say, you know, what you can can and cannot say. And he was, like, I can't do this job if you're going to tell me what I can and can't say. And so he died before his manuscript was published. So they put it in a magazine. And then it was released as a book way later. So it reads pretty contemporary, but it was written, I think, like, in the, the 20s. And so, uh, circling back to the master, the character, he's even more depressed that he loses the love of his life, a woman named Margarita, um, who has a sick fucking book, too. There's, like, part one and then, like, part two. (laughs) It's, like, part one is a lot of, like, Moscow literary drama, and I was like, okay, okay. Part two is, like, let's get fucking, like naked in the moonlight and create magic baby it's like a totally different vibe um so some other kind of non-spoilery highlights are again naked witches flying around on broomsticks and why is everyone naked that just just (laughs) the witches i think because it plays into the archetype of like which is dancing in the moonlight for the devil kind of thing um like seducing the ladies did not seem to care because they were getting what they wanted and um ravens that drive cars a satanic what? ball with lots of accomplished dead people and the ball um that kind of sounds fun yeah and the chapter is called like <laughs> satan's ball or something and i was like excuse me what um the footnotes <laughs> for this are incredibly interesting there's at least like four or five character like historical characters that i never heard of that i was like if you know any historical fiction written about, oh, what's her name? Um, this, like, Italian lady who poisoned 600 men in, like, the Renaissance era. What? Um, <laughs> real life, real person. I looked it up. I was like, holy shit, this is a real person? Why don't I know more about her? And she, her poison, there's, like, a poison named after her. I think it's called, like, Aquaflora or something. Um, oh, my God. Yep. And, um... Mozart's like dying breath a hundred years later is that he thought he ingested this poison that she created. This is real life stuff that I learned from the wow. master of Margarita. Wow. Um, and also 
a lot of historical fiction around the crucifixion of Jesus. So here's the thing. I have like a <laughs> rudimentary understanding of like religious ed. I was reading the parts of so the manuscript that the author writes is a book within a book. So you get some chapters from the manuscript. I was like confused because I, I know like nothing. I was like, wait, Judas is dead? Who <laughs> says who? Um, so I feel like you would put, you don't. I didn't know that either. So you're fine. Spoiler alert. Um, so I think if you have a little bit of like knowledge of the bible or faust you might enjoy it more but it wasn't un incomprehensible without that knowledge for me you learned stuff then yeah yeah i learned a lot and like it was just so so entertaining and the the quote that everyone remembers from this is that the master tries to burn his manuscript and then the devil says well manuscripts don't burn so that was like a proverbial proverbial russian quote that literary societies used at this time when the state was really like censoring what you could and couldn't say in your art so people would be like manuscripts don't burn so that came from this book and it's obviously wild <laughs> and it was really really fun um and was a really good example of why I like Russian literature I'm not like an expert or anything but in general the tone is very like dramatic and like even the deaths are very like suddenly violent and a lot of the sad characters are like I guess I'll go like drown myself it's just very like <laughs> we're gonna like drink our vodka and like and if I don't get my way I'll surely die and it's I, I don't know I, I'm I love drama so <laughs> it's just like <laughs> those those Russians they're sad it's like peak romance and sorrow <laughs> So I think also it's a nice classic to start off your spooky season. Like, it's the weirdest fucking shit I've ever read. And I have the Penguin 50th edi edition, and it's got, oh, like, that's so a pretty. really pretty cover. So if you can get your hands on that one, I recommend it. You're making me want to read this. Yeah. Have I'm not you ever read Good Omens no. or seen the show? I saw the show, I think possibly because it's like it's got a similar vibe to that it was reminding me of how first of all because this was written so long ago but also referenced faust which was also written so fucking long ago how many like tales there are of the devil seducing people you know like this isn't the first of its yeah. kind and actually it is interesting especially in the footnotes to compare like iterations of the devil like different characters get different things out of them and i was surprised that this iteration of the devil was like just around he like didn't make any bargains with anyone really he just kind of like showed up with his talking fucking cat and his vampire witch <laughs> and then just like rolled out you know <laughs> like he sounds was like super yeah. teenage witch. yeah yeah he sounds fun like if i was to describe the vibe i would say it's almost like the chicago musical you know with like renee zellweger it had kind of that yeah. entertainment aspect of it meets like the sabrina what? on netflix <laughs> i did not get that vibe this whole time you've been talking no there's like certain scenes Cause it's like black and red yeah kind of there's certain scenes that remind <laughs> me of dramatic. like and especially the satire of trials like you mm. know in chicago they're like now roxy hart is gonna do a tap dance to get herself out of here but it's like it's an in joke some of that mm -hmm. was like an in joke as well um, i see Meets Sabrina, you know, because it's like still kind of <laughs> light and fluffy. Meets like Russia. Talking so cat. <laughs> meets talking cat. So, wow. so, yeah, I really loved it. Five stars, baby. Five stars. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. While you were talking, I looked up the Pavir 
and Volokonsky people. Mm-hmm. And I need to like correct myself. They don't, I feel like I took a Russian literature class and I swore the teacher said they read it out loud. Oh. But on the Wikipedia page, turns out they would just like each go over it once and then like again. Oh, so okay. they ended up reading these like enormous Russian works like four times total to do these translations. Oh, wow. They're insane. Yeah. Like, well, I would hope that if they were, were translating it, they wouldn't just go through it once and be like, it's good. Yeah. No, but I think like f- most people don't do four times as a team. I don't also, know much about they're, like a team. As I love well. them. Yeah. They, they definitely, yeah, their husband and wife. Yeah. Like, Oh, that's so cute. And I think yeah. even in the way they constructed their footnotes, like they were good at pointing out the proverbials, like, because I read Anna Karenina, it's one of my all-time favorites, and there's, like, a phrase of the second line of the book is, like, there was trouble in the Oblonsky house or something, so they were, like, a lot of Russians will just say that as, like, there's shit going down, you know? And it popped up in this book, and I was, like, what are the odds? What are the odds? Um, So, yeah, if you want to intro to Russian lit and also Satan, come this (laughs) way. (laughs) So yeah. Um, what's up next for you? Oh, the Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. Harrow? No, no. Nice. That's, I'm in like, that's on my list too. I'm on a witch roll. Too. I'm like, girl, I lit my candle. I like dimmed the lights and I was like, let's Ooh. do a seance. I am here for I black know. magic. I know. You got to read a witch in time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, Livy, what's next? um oh i'm i kind of said this but i'm gonna read stamped from the beginning by ibram x kendi hopefully soon uh kayla what are you reading next i'm gonna do know my name by chanel miller i need to read that you know i've been i've had it for a while and i keep pushing it off because i'm like i feel like i need to be in the right headspace for it but i want to like finally get to it becky what's next um, I'm going to read slash, I already started it, The Night Portrait <laughs> by Laura Mor- Morelli. So I'm excited. I'm excited to read that one too. I'm loving it so far. So where can everybody be found on Instagram? Libby? I'm at sleep, run, read, repeat. Uh, Emily? I'm at the Lazy <laughs> Library. <laughs> Becky? <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Becky in the Bookshelves. And I'm at KRED What? And you can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're using hashtag my books and the city when you're posting books we recommend to you, merch, postcards. The list gets longer every single week. Um, join our fan club slash coven at our website, <laughs> booksinthecitypod.com. Nice I feel like it turned more into a coven by the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Follow us on Twitter, BATC Pod. Like our Facebook page, Books in the City Podcast. Did I get it all? <laughs> Make sure if you want to get merch, you yes. do that um, because yeah. the store is closing on the 11th, which is this coming Friday. Closing so time. <laughs> <laughs> so oh get God. in there. Um, and thank you to our Carrie Level producers, Elizabeth Jamka, Susie Southwick, Carrie Kissinger, Brenna Collins, and Kat Martin. Woo. And don't forget to follow Samantha in quarantine. And keep yes. uh, Giving us your fishbowl questions because they are really good. Ooh, yes, yes. If you want access to the fishbowl, you it is available to fan club members only. So get in there. Yeah, yeah. Get in there. Thanks for you listening. You gotta stop singing. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. Everyone take a deep breath. We're going to make it out of here alive. Probably. <laughs>